discover that spies have been sent out. Uh, two spies, they've been sent out to reconnoiter the city of Jericho and its surroundings. Notice there in verse 1, sent out two men to secretly saying, go view the land, even Jericho. Jericho was indeed a very strong city and uh, it could not be bypassed. And sometimes when a, uh, an attack is made on an area, the uh, invading troops will bypass certain points and go back later and sort them out. But you couldn't do that with Jericho. Jericho was something that had to be taken defeated. We are also in these verses introduced to a lady by the name of Rahab. There are only two women who are mentioned in the Hebrews Hall of Fame in chapter 11 of, uh, of that book. And they are, of course, Sarah, verse 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she was judged him faithful who had promised. And the other one we find in verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now there you have two ladies in that chapter. Sarah and Rahab. Now, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, these two ladies had very, very little in common. Sarah was a godly woman, whereas Rahab was an ungodly woman. Sarah was the wife of Abraham, the founder, if you like, of the Hebrew race, whereas Rahab worshipped pagan gods and had sold her body for money. But, but they shared the most important thing is they both came to a place where they exercised saving faith in the true and living God. Joshua, remember Joshua was one of the uh, spies that had been sent out in Numbers chapter 13. Uh, Twelve of them. And of course uh, you are very familiar with what happened. They came back with uh, negative views, or at least ten of them did except for two, Caleb and Joshua, who said, yeah, let's, we can do it. We can take the land because the Lord is with us. But sadly, the people listened to the, uh, the ten, and, of course, the result was 40 years in the wilderness. Now, this sending out of these two spies by Joshua 
was secretly done. It tells us there, two men to, to spy secretly. Actually, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it would be very difficult to spy without secrecy, wouldn't it? But that's another thing. And they were, it would seem that it was just between Joshua and these two men alone. And what he's doing is, Joshua is a, Joshua is a man of God, he's a man of faith, but he's also a man who prepares. Doesn't take the Lord for granted. And so he's already making preparations for the whole company to cross the River Jordan. But now he's um, also sending out at the same time, or roughly the same time, two men to spy out the enemy territory. Now, these men were not chosen, they, were not, they didn't volunteer, I don't think. Doesn't say, they, he just says he sends them out. He sent them out because he could trust them. He could rely on them. He probably knew them quite well. He wouldn't have just picked old so-and-so there and so-and-so there. He knew them. He knew they had faith. They knew they had courage. And he knew they had wisdom. And as I say, just two at this time, not twelve as before. Remember, the twelve had to go and see the land. Whereas these two got a specific commission. Go view the land, even, especially Jericho. It's a reminder, isn't it? The Lord may give us a specific task to do. The one that doesn't want us going off on bypass meadow, get on with what the Lord has said you're to do. And this is where they are. They're going now with this task to spy out the land. As I say, all done in secrecy. Even the Israelite uh, camp didn't know about them. And again we see how Joshua proves his leadership qualities. He shows wisdom. He shows prudence in sending out these two spies to observe the import, this important area. It is so important, isn't it? As we seek to serve the Lord ourselves, that we seek his wisdom to carry out his work in his way. And we need wisdom. We need prudence for doing just that. Now, also, we have to remember at this time that Joshua didn't know how the Lord would deal with Jericho. He had no idea of how the Lord would reveal to him what the Israelite people had to do to see the destruction of Jericho. As I say, these two men were not coerced. They went out willingly. But they also went out willingly knowing that they were risking their lives. But they knew that God was with them. You think of the many dear brothers and sisters in Christ we have today who are risking their lives 
meeting together to worship God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have no problem, have we? No one is going to burst through those doors and arrest us. No one is going to come in there and haul us down to um, Hammond's Drive in Eastbourne, where I'm put in a cell, and out come the rubber truncheons and all sorts. Nothing like that is ever going to happen to us, at least not at the moment. But I wonder how it would be if that threat was real. And yet many of our brothers and sisters in Christ show such faith, such conviction, such trust in the Lord that they put up with that and an awful lot more. Isn't it right that we should pray for them? Isn't it right that we should seek to support them where we can? And look at their testimony. And it shames us, doesn't it, sometimes? You know, what do we actually put out of ourselves to serve the Lord? Risking our lives. Risking our reputation. What people may think of us. But these people, as I say, these two spies knew that the Lord was with them. Now, Jericho was about seven or eight miles from the River Jordan. And uh, these two spies, although, yes, they, they, were, they were hazarding their lives, but they were also under the protection of divine providence. And that it reveals itself as we go through chapter 2. Now, Jericho, as I say, was a very important, very strategic city. And apparently it was protected at its southern frontier by a number of fortresses. Now, the reason those fortresses had been built was not because of the threat of the Israelites, but because of attacks from Egypt in previous years. And capturing Jericho was the key to the whole campaign. And so often, when, if you read military history, particular places are key to winning the, the battle, winning the war. And the providence of God directs these two spies to the house of Rahab. It tells us there that uh, at, uh, at this time, Rahab was an innkeeper. But she is described also as a harlot. Now, as in many things, people try to airbrush certain things these days because it doesn't sound too nice. And some people have said that this, the word innkeeper can also mean uh, harlot or hostess. And surely you would think these two spies, they're godly men, they trust in the Lord. Wouldn't you think they'd rather go to an inn rather than to a place of ill repute. Rahab, in all probability, was both. She was both an innkeeper and a prostitute. 
in James's letter, in chapter, uh, James chapter 2, and verse 35, we read this. He, sorry, he uses the word, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? And the word that James uses there, harlot, is the word for prostitute. However, it, as we read in the uh, Gospel of, of Matthew, and Matthew chapter 1, and verse 5, And Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. Rahab is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see in this lady Rahab, and in her situation, her case, is that greatness of sin is no barrier to the Lord's mercy. And you can apply that to yourself. Before you were saved, in the eyes of God, you would have been a great sinner. But the Lord put aside and saved you. Doesn't it give you confidence to go to whosoever will, where they ever are, with the gospel? whoever the biggest sinner in town is, that in a moment God can save them. Their sin is no barrier to the saving grace of God if God so chooses to use it. And what an encouragement that is when we seek to witness to people. When we look at people and think, goodness me, they'll never come to Christ. But maybe that's just the one person that the Lord will bring to Christ. And Rahab would be the first person in Jericho who trusted in the God of Israel. Now we need to learn the difference between trusting the Lord and tempting the Lord. We trust the Lord in all manner of things, above all in our salvation. But we are not to tempt the Lord. Just assume that everything will be okay because of who he is and who we are, his followers. And we are to be sensible. We have minds to think. And we are not to unnecessarily tempt him. And it would appear that somehow information has got to the king of Jericho. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And so he's informed of these spies and their activity. And of course, this king has cause to fear. He, the enemy is not quite at his door yet, but they're only seven or eight miles away. He 
and his people, of course, know that the Israelites are camped on the opposite side of the River Jordan. And, of course, he and the, the people of Jericho would be suspicious of all strangers. No doubt a watch had been set, a watch had been kept on all people going in and out of the city. Maybe these two spies had been observed. Maybe they'd been seen heading for Jericho. You see, even on the Lord's mission, even on the Lord's business, there are trials to face. Trials that test faith. Trials that enable it to grow. And as the Lord says in Matthew 26 and verse uh, 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. You see, the spies gained access into the city. And uh, in... Um, Psalm 127, we read this. Except the, the Lord build the house, they labor in vain and build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Always and in every situation, we are to live in Psalm 37. And verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The king of Jericho thought he could sort this out. He thought he could stop these spies from entering his city, but he didn't. They got in. God was so disposed that they were unable to enter into the city. And the king has obviously heard about them being maybe at, at Rahab's establishment. And the king of Jericho sent unto Ahab, saying, Bring forth the men which are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they come to search out all the, con the country. So the king sends to Ahab. You see, panic is spreading. It's spreading through the city. The king is suspicious. The king is worried. And he demands from her that she hands over these two these spies. You see, the king is acting quite promptly on a report that's been given to him. It's a good principle here. It shows that you can learn from the enemy. And to take note of. And that is to nip danger while it's still in the bud. Before it becomes a much bigger issue. Cut it out. Stop it, whatever it may be. When the first alarms of conscience in our minds begin to ring those bells, we need to take heed to listen 
and to act. You see, these spies are threatened. I wonder how they fell. Yes, they trusted in the Lord. Yes, they had faith. But they knew if they were caught, it would may mean torture and certainly execution. And then you see, this interesting, this is a question now about Rahab's conduct. Did she do right in defying the king's authority and betraying her own country, which is what she did? Can she be exonerated from telling lies? When people say, no, she can't, then how do we explain Hebrews 11.31? She had hidden these spies somewhere in her establishment. And Rahab herself has put in her life on the line. And she'd done this before the message had come from the king. No doubt Rahab had heard about what of the Israelites and how the Lord had helped them but she'd obviously spoken to these two spies something that they'd said something the Lord had begun this work of in her life she knew that a search would be made and it seems that this lies left no stain on Rahab's conscience it was indeed a sinful life. But, one would say it had the intention of doing good. We read in Romans chapter 3 and verse 8, And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, Let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. What we have to remember with Rahab at this time, is she is still very much a pagan. She spent all her life in a pagan environment. She spent a good part of her adult life selling herself to men. She is suddenly not going to become a walking systematic book of theology overnight. And so one has to take that in consideration. Think now what you understand now about the Christian faith and how much you knew when you were converted and see the gap, the, the wide gap. And we never know it all, do we? We, we honour the martyrs who died for their faith in the 16th century. But if they told us some of the things they believed, we would be shocked. Because they, were, they had an upbringing all their lives of Roman Catholicism and superstition. Yes, a person becomes a Christian. Yes, a person begins a new life. But it can take an awful lot of things to get the old out and replace it with the new. Yes, it's true. Rahab did betray her country. But uh, remember what she says in verse 9. 
and said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Because she's begun now to know the Lord. No doubt she had some prior knowledge about the God of the Israelites before the spies had come to her home. But you see, there is this clash of interests. There is loyalty to the king of Jericho or loyalty to the Lord God. Maybe we one day may be asked to choose who we serve. You see, the divine stand for sin and holiness never alters. And it is true, is it not? The standard in the conscience of different people varies to a considerable degree. Some Christians will say, we can do this, and some Christians will say, no, you can't. Some will say, you can do this, and some say, no, you can't. And people will have different views on different areas of faith and witness. Of course, I'm not talking about the basic doctrines. Of course, I'm not. You see, the application of the law is what brings the discovery of sin. And some people have described Ahab as an example of imperfect morality. And that probably would sum up most of us here as well. And in the New Testament, Rahab is commended for her faith, not her falsehood. But of course, our allegiance must always be firstly to the Lord. Someone wrote this, Beware of dipping our pen in the ink of self-superiority. The Holy Spirit does not conceal the blemishes of people. When one would read the scriptures, look at the example of Noah, who got drunk. Look at the example of Moses, who lost his temper. Look at the example of David, who committed adultery and murder. And so it could go on. But also we have to be aware of the maxim that says that the end justifies the means. That, of course, is the dogma of the Jesuits. It is the way of politics. And it's wrong. We must never, ever leave out the Lord in anything. Now, remember, the Lord could have saved these spies without the help of Rahab. She did fail, perhaps, fully to trust the Lord. But the fear of man is an enormous snare. What stops most churches getting involved in evangelism out there? It's fear. It's got nothing to do with age. It's got nothing to do with experience. It's got nothing to do with ability. It is fear. It is the fear of man. And that's what cripples. Because I can know in my own case it does. And I'm sure I'm no different to so many others. 
but the Lord has graciously and does graciously overrule Rahab's conduct. But that still doesn't vindicate her. Now, this is obviously taking place at night because it tells us that um, they, were sh they shut the gates of the city. And, of course, they only shut the gates of the city when it gets dark. Rahab has been ordered to give up those who lodge with her. And you could say, no excuse for prevarication. God did not need her to lie. We must not think that we can do wrong or evil so that good may come out of it. And it tells us there, doesn't it, that um, she hit them, this is verse 6, with the stalks of flax. It means it's the flax, uh, the, uh, she's the, um, the gathering of the flax harvest, which means the time is the end of March or the beginning of April, shortly indeed before the wheat harvest. The flax is ripe and is now drying on the roof. And the flax, of course, is dried by the heat of the sun. Flax was used for spinning and weaving. And it's also seeds produced linseed oil. And in those days, of course, there were flat roofs. It was on the roof, of course, that people could sleep or they could entertain their guests. So the spies would, they would be chasing the spies, but of course, there they were, safe in Rahab's establishment, hidden. People would have thought, yes, we'll just follow them up the road, and obviously they looked, but they couldn't find them. What they did, of course, was they shut the gate. And that stops them getting out. It stops people getting in, and it stops them getting out. Of course, as we know, um, at another time perhaps, the next part of the chapter describes how they indeed did leave the city of Jericho. You see, the people of Jericho shut the gate, but they were too late. And, you know, there's a door, isn't there, in glory. There's a door into heaven. And for those who love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, it's an open door. But for those who don't, it's a shut door. And it will be too late. Purgatory is a myth. There's no truth whatsoever. There's no such place as purgatory. When we die, we will either be able to go through an open door into heaven or an open door into hell. If we are not in the Lord Jesus Christ, the door to heaven will be shut and the door to hell will be open. But if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is our Lord and our Saviour, then that door will be open and he will be there to welcome us. Well, that, may that be true for each and every one of us here this morning. Let's um, sing, shall we? Uh,
hymn number eight, I think this is the right one, 813. Give me the wings of faith to rise within the vale and sea. The saints above, how great their joys, how bright their glories be. 813. joy to the only wise God our Saviour be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and ever Amen <laughs> 